We live in an age of endless information. We have access to more information today than at any point in human history. Got a question? You can search the world for answers. Need directions? Maps can lead you just about anywhere. Need to buy something? You can locate it, make your purchase, and have it shipped to you all in a few minutes. But access to all this information doesn't necessarily make us wiser, happier, or provide any deeper meaning in life. The wisest man who ever lived had everything he desired, but came to the conclusion that life without meaning is empty. But a life spent searching for the answers God provides is a life worth living. Well, how's everybody doing? It's a great day, isn't it? Last, the worship that we just had was absolutely amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Last week was snow day. And I want to tell you, at the Missouri City campus, they had almost 1,200 at snow day. I, I don't know where they put everybody. And I'm going to tell you, this, this campus is going crazy. God is really blessing this place. And overall, our, all, of, all of us, we had almost 5,400 people that came to church. It's the highest attendance in the history of this church except for Easter. It is just, I, it's crazy. It's really a great thing. We saw so many new families come. It is a wonderful time for us. I came across this article that I thought I would share with you. It's been a, been a little while ago that I came across it. It's called Great Truths About Life little children have learned. Seeing life from little children's eyes, great truths about life, little children have learned. That was a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not going to share, but just four of them with you. But I love this one. It says, the best place to be when you're sad is in your grandfather's lap. And I read that. I said, that's got to be, this is a great article. This is a great article. The second one is, when your mom gets mad with your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> Here's the third one. Puppies still have bad breath even after eating a Tic Tac. Okay? Here's, here's the fourth one I want to share with you. No matter how hard you try, you cannot baptize cats. You just can't do it. This is good information, and we're going through some good information, too, on Sunday mornings, going through the book of Ecclesiastes together. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was the son of King David. And when King David died, Solomon became the king. And he said to God, God, I don't want wealth. I don't want military victories. I don't, all I want is for you to give me wisdom so that I can lead my people well. And God gave him, poured out his wisdom upon Solomon and gave him everything else too. And Solomon became known as the wisest man outside of Jesus Christ, maybe the wisest man who had ever lived. Solomon is the guy that wrote the book of Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said to you last week that the book of Proverbs in my life has been the most profound Old Testament book 
in my whole life, the book of Proverbs, because there is not a day goes by that I don't make decisions in my life that are really based upon the principles of the book of Proverbs. I've studied Proverbs year after year after year after year in my life, and I've learned so much that it has become now a part of me when I'm making decisions, principles that Solomon wrote 3,000 years ago have become such a deep part of my life. Here is a guy 3,000 years ago who is still impacting the life of somebody else and many others 3,000 years later. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes has one great idea, and that is answering life's biggest questions. The kinds of questions that we answer, that we ask all the time, Solomon asked as well, and he tried to find the answers to the big questions of life. And last week, it was chapter 1, and he talked about what is the meaning of life? What is the point of life? What, what is the purpose of living this life? And he, he talked about that. We worked through what he gave to us, and not just him, but also Jesus and the New Testament. This morning, I want us to look at the next big question, and that is, how can we finally have a happiness that lasts forever? How can we find a, a lasting happiness in our lives? And I want to talk to you about that today. The overall, uh, overarching idea that Solomon gave to us is this statement. He says, though a person lives... A thousand years twice over. Okay, if you live 2,000 years, he is saying, but you don't find happiness, what's the use? In other words, he's saying, what does it matter how long you live, I live, if we don't make the most of our life while we're living? And so Solomon's goal is to help us learn how to make the most of our life. And that's what we're doing as we go through the series. And today, I want us to talk about that subject in chapter 2 of lasting happiness. It's not hard to be happy. Every one of us every day have moments of happiness. All you got to do is come up with several ball teams you like, football teams. I never just stick with one. I get three or four football teams you like or baseball teams you like or basketball teams, and one of them's going to win. You know, and as soon as they win, you have that happy moment. Or someone uh, gives you something or, or gives you a compliment or does something nice in your life. Or maybe, maybe you get a raise at work or you get a, an A at school. And just some good thing happened, you're happy. But the question is, how can you have lasting happiness? a deeper abiding happiness. The definition that I, I've got, at least, of lasting happiness is this, an inner peace, a deep joy day after day, year after year, through the good times and the not-so-good times. The Bible's word for lasting happiness is the word joy. And Jesus said this. He said, if you will do what I tell you to do, if you follow me, if you do what I tell you to do, I'll give you a joy that the world can't take away. That no matter what happens in your life, no matter what tragedy comes in your life, no matter how terrible something is that comes in your life, I'll give you a joy. I'll give you an inner peace. I will give you a lasting joy that the world can't strip from you. 
And that's the kind of joy we need, right? That's the kind of, of lasting happiness. And Solomon was trying to find that lasting happiness. Solomon was a king. He had tons of resources. There was nothing, anything he wanted to do, he could do it. There was nothing that could hold him back. And so he did everything he could to try to find how can I be lastingly happy. You know what is amazing to me? You talk to people today in the, the 21st century, and there's a list of things. How, how are, what are you doing to try to be happy? And they'll give you this list. And what's crazy to me is that 3,000 years ago, it is the very list that Solomon was using in chapter 2. And I have people say to me, oh, well, the Bible is so old. It's 2,000 years, and some of it's 3,000 years. It's so old. It's not relevant. Well, people that say that only say it because they've not read it. They haven't read it because the Bible actually deals with the human nature, and that does not change. The same problems we have today Solomon had 3,000 years ago, same solutions we try to use he used back 3,000 years ago. The Bible does relate directly to our lives. So as Solomon's trying to figure out how can I be happy, having lasting happiness, so what does he do? He makes, first of all, assumption number one, that pleasure is a sure path to happiness. Notice what he says, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 3. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. The first answer he said, he pursued, how can I have lasting happiness? Through pleasure. He filled his life with pleasure. He says, with laughter. didn't mean that he's laughing all day long. Ha, 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 all day long. That's not what it means. It is simply a Hebrew phrase that means having a good time, having fun, pursuing things that entertains, pursuing things that gives you a good time that you enjoy. We have a whole list in the 21st century of things that really bring pleasure, that is having a good time. It's a lot of fun. And they're probably different than way back 3,000 years ago, but he still had many things that brought him a lot of pleasure. Archaeologists tell us today that during the time of Solomon, Disney World was much smaller than it is today. Probably they only had the log ride. That's all they had back in those days. But there were a whole lot of things that they could do in those days that brought fun and it was a good time just like today. And when Solomon began to fill his life with that, it wasn't long until there was a sense of emptiness and boredom. Just like happens today. And so you know what he did? He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to combine having a good time with alcohol. That's what the verse says. Uh, the, the oldest mood-altering drug maybe in history is alcohol, is wine. And he said, so I did wine and folly. I did wine and have a good time. But what Solomon began to realize is, look, when I look at the individuals I'm partying with 
and I'm having all this quote-unquote good time, I see these people are just as empty. And when they're sober, they are miserable human beings. And he realized none of this is working. This is not how you find lasting happiness. And so Solomon went to the next level. Solomon indulged in intimate escapades. All you got to do is read the, the, his life story in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, and you see what he did. He was a king, and he can do anything he wanted, and he did it. But when you read the story of Solomon, here's what you find out. Solomon experienced nothing but brokenness and pain and hardship. And when you read those passages that deal with Solomon, here's what you're going to discover about him, that Solomon never accomplished what he could have. He never had the influence that he could have had. And it was the escapades that destroyed it. And Solomon came to the end of this whole pleasure thing, and he came to this understanding that pleasure, and I want you to write this. It's in your notes there, but I want you to write another phrase that I wish I'd have put in there. Pleasure beyond the limits God approves. Pleasure beyond the limits God approves always promises more than it can deliver from a distance. It's so pleasurable. It's so inviting, but it always promises more than it can actually real life deliver. It eventually leaves you wounded and bored. It doesn't last. And Solomon came to that realization. So assumption number two, if pleasure doesn't get it done. Assumption number two, happiness is found in work and in achieving success. Verse four, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. And that didn't stop with that. Read the story. He built cities, folks. He built cities. And, 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 he, and he built armies and he built gold mines and he built silver mines and he, he built the first temple to God. You talk about an accomplished human being. This man built so much. It's absolutely shocking and astounding the success that he had. And you scroll down to verse 20 of chapter 2. He says, but I turned in despair from hard work as the answer to my search for satisfaction. I poured everything I could pour into my career, and I came to the end, and I realized... It doesn't satisfy. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Happiness is not found, this lasting happiness is not found in success. Tennis champion Hannah Manlikova, here's a picture of, of uh, Hannah Manlikova. One, she beat the top women's tennis players in, in, a, in the world. And after she had beaten Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett Lloyd, she was asked the question, what does it feel like to be on the top? What does it feel like? And here are her words. She said, any big win means that all the suffering, practicing, and traveling are worth it. I feel like I own the world. And then the next question by the reporter was, how long did that feeling last? And she said, two minutes. Two minutes. 
Hey, she's being honest, isn't she? There's nothing wrong with goals. I love goals. We should set goals for our job, for our finances, for our family. For Goals are what brings so much fun to life. The problem is never confuse goals with the purpose of your life. When you set goals and they become the purpose of your life and the identity of who you are, that's when they leave you empty. It goes back to that old saying, you remember, when a guy's about to die? Nobody, when they're about to die, says, oh, if only I could have had just a few more minutes in the office. Nobody says that. And Solomon came to a conclusion, it's not pleasure that gives me lasting happiness. It, it, it is not my career that gives me lasting happiness. So, assumption number three, the more money I have, the happier I will be. Look at the next verse, seven. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 7. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Having herds and flocks doesn't really sound that inviting to people in the 21st century that live in the city. He had a lot of herds and flocks, but he had tons of gold and silver. It, there, it was never any streets of gold, but, I, but there were comments back in that day talking about the wealth of Solomon, about the, that, the, that there, was, there was gold in the streets and silver lined the streets. It was just a phrase. It wasn't an actuality, but there was the sense of the amazing wealth that Solomon had amassed. You can put Bill Gates and Warren Buffett together, and they would still have less than Solomon amassed. You take his net worth in current dollars and compare it to those two guys combined in current dollars, he would still have more. And yet he says, it didn't mean anything. It did not give me lasting happiness. I came across this. It, it's a year old, and I came across this. And I'm going to give you enough information in your notes there that you can go look it up, Google it, and, and get to the footnotes and all kinds of things. But there was a research study that showed that the richer we get, the less happy we become. And the article is called, The World's Happiest People Make This Much Money, February 14, 2018. Now, I'm not giving this to you because I believe that to be happy, you've got to make the amount of money that it says. So don't get the wrong impression of what I'm saying. But I'm making a point that I'll make sure I, I make toward the end. So the research shows that the richer we get, the less happy we become. This study published last year, found that once a family reaches a certain combined household income, which they said was $105,000 in the United States and $95,000 globally, I noticed that about three decades ago, the same kind of study was done, I think it was $60,000 then, that more income tended to be associated with reduced life satisfaction 
and a lower level of well-being. That isn't a given. That isn't a given. But it is the idea of this, that the more we get, the more we have to get. The more we want, the more we want, the more we want, the more we want. That it becomes more and more and more important to our lives to the point that it brings so many worries to our life, so much fear in our life, so much pain in our life. There's another study. It goes, dates back to February 20, 2005. I'd put this in my notes, in, in, my, in a chart. Uh, children, it's called children of the affluent, and it says children who come from affluent families are more likely to. It's not a given. It's not a given, but are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and substance abuse than those who come from less affluent families. You, you go do a study of, of movie stars and rock stars and that sort of thing who grow up and their kids, and it's, it's pretty devastating. The point I'm making is not that there's a magic number like 105 that tells you, okay, now I can finally be happy, because the truth is you don't have to have money make you happy. The point I'm really trying to make is this, that money has a built-in law of diminishing returns like nothing else in which we reach a point in which we have fallen in love with it and it comes back to bite us. Money can't make you happy. You and I can live a life of contentment no matter what our income is and be much happier than most other people in the world. And Solomon came to this conclusion and he said, you know, I've now realized it's not pleasure, it isn't my career, and it's not my money. And so the fourth assumption was education produces lasting happiness. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 to 18, and look at what he says. He says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. There's the education. I've got all this education. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned this, this too is a chasing after the wind. Here's the key statement. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And the more knowledge, the more what? The more grief. And, and Solomon came to this understanding. The more education I get, the more grief I get. The more education I get, it just increases the number of questions, and it doesn't ultimately satisfy me. So before you decide to quit school, okay, I'm quitting high school, my pastor said. Before you decided you're not going to college, that's not what I'm, the point I'm making. Here is the truth. That one of, if not the greatest factors of the, of the job that we get to feed our family and our career comes through the education. Education is important. It is valuable. And also education gives us a greater understanding of the world. It's why I keep doing that Personally, I keep reading uh, more things. I keep listening to lectures on history. I love history and science, and I just want more and more and more. 
The point is that education is, is not that education is meaningless. The point is that education is not the source of lasting happiness. Because if it was, the most educated people would be the happiest people in the world, and they're not. They're not. That's the point. Are you getting the idea here? Solomon has gotten it all. He has tried it all. He has spent it all. And he's still not happy. So why do we even have this? Why, why do we have this book of Ecclesiastes? Because God is trying to say something to us. We only get to live one time. And if we are going down all these blind alleys, every one of us will be living in, in a way in which we just never find it. And God is saying, here is the guy who had everything and he went down all these, down, these streets that led nowhere. He went all these, down all these alleys that went, led nowhere. Don't do this. You can learn before you have to experience it. There is something that brings satisfaction and lasting happiness, but it's not this stuff. And listen, here is Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2.17. It really goes all the way down. He says this, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it's meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying this is the second Sunday in a row that you brought us all total depression. And here we are again, you, everything's bad, you brought us all the way down to depression. I'm not trying to do that, but I am saying to you, if any of these are the purpose of your life, if the, any of these you're counting on to deliver the greatest life, you're going to end up right where Solomon did. And I came to the place that I hated life. Derek Kidner was a brilliant scholar and a brilliant man, and he made this statement. He said, what spoils the pleasures of life for us is our hunger to get out of them more than they can deliver. Getting eternal and ultimate meaning out of temporal and temporary pursuits is destined to fail. And Solomon says, yes, that's what I'm saying. But there is a way to lasting happiness. Jesus said, if you do what I tell you to do, I will give you a joy that the world cannot take from you. Solomon didn't get to the end zone. He didn't understand everything, but he got it going. Solomon came to the conclusion that the place of satisfaction was not gold, but God. It was not found in the creation, but rather in the creator. It cannot be found in gifts, but in the giver. And I'm not trying to be cute with words. I'm just trying to say that Solomon finally got it down. I am going the wrong direction. I'm focusing my life in the wrong place. And he shifted his focus. Put your focus on the right thing. And Solomon makes this statement at the end of chapter 2. Of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink, not meaning alcohol, eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Solomon doesn't get the whole thing, but he is now 
shifting the focus. There is a New Testament verse that is the equivalent of this verse found in Ecclesiastes 2, but it's clearer and it's more understanding. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. All the possessions and the health and the things we enjoy are not intended to turn our hearts toward them, but rather to turn our hearts to Him. To turn our hearts to Him. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. What God said, this is the right way to live. This is the right way to respond to life. Seek first God's kingdom and God's right way of living, and all these other things will be given to you. And here's the great sentence. I love this sentence. Seek the giver, not the gifts, and you'll end up with both. You'll be the ultimate winner. Seek the give, giver and not the gifts, and you'll end up with both. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Here's the first thing. Decide to receive the relationship with God that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Start at the beginning. Come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Begin at the beginning. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life. Notice the present tense. He doesn't say that if you hear my words and believe on him that sent me, that one day you will have eternal life. He says you have it now. The very moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you begin eternal life. At that very moment, you begin eternal life. And has, present tense, and has crossed over from death to life. It starts the moment you receive Jesus Christ. Everything changes the moment you give your heart to Christ. So start at the beginning. Commit your heart by faith to Christ. The second thing is choose to be content with what God has already given to you. Make the decision that you don't have to have what somebody else has to be happy. You don't have to have their car. You don't have to have their house. You don't have to have their furniture. You don't have to have their vacations. You don't have to have their stuff. Make the decision, I don't have to have all of it, to be content with what you already have. Don't judge a person's happiness by their Facebook posts. Because almost everybody's lying. Obviously, you aren't lying on Facebook, but everybody else is. That's why I said almost everybody. Almost everybody's lying. Oh, you can't believe this wonderful thing that we bought. You can't believe this wonderful thing that we did. You can't believe this wonder blah, 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 blah. And they give you all this stuff, but they don't tell you that it's heartache city inside those walls. And they're fighting like cats and dogs, and they're struggling and hurting. They don't tell you all that stuff. Oh, my kids are perfect. There are no kids that are perfect except my grandchildren. Those are the, that's the only ones. 
There are no super people out there, no matter what they say. They're just people. They're just struggling. They're just living life. Don't believe all those Facebook posts. And you don't know how hocked up to high heaven in debt they are to do all the stuff they're saying. No. Come to the place to be willing to say, I'm content with what God has already given me. And if God wants to give me more, I'll be content with what God wants to give me more. And if God wants me to be less, it's going to be a struggle, but I'm going to be content with the less that God gives to me. I'm going to be content both directions. And that's what Paul is saying. When Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. It doesn't come naturally. I'm going to tell you what comes naturally. Jealousy comes naturally. Envy comes naturally. Contentment does not come naturally. You've got to learn it. But Paul said, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret. In every, any and every situation, whether it be fed or hungry, whether it be, be uh, living in plenty or in want, okay, God, I've learned to be content if you give me more. Yay, God, for giving me more. I've learned to be content if you give me less. Yay, God, for giving me less. It's going to be a struggle, but I'm going to still bit, get there. I will be willing to be content with what I have right now. Can I tell you something? You are the richest man on the earth. You are the richest woman on the face of the earth when you can be willing to be content right now. Right now. So how do you find this lasting happiness? I'm going to tell you, get Jesus in your heart, then begin to follow him. And what he said is, would you stop this comparison and would you start becoming content with what you already have? The third thing is this, decide to become more outwardly focused. Matthew 16, 25, for whoever will save his life shall lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And what? That didn't even make sense. It is a paradox. So what is he saying? When all your life is about you, when it's all about you, you'll end up losing life. If you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, acts of love and kindness toward God and others, if you will lose your self-centeredness and you will shift your focus past yourself, you will actually find life. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 uses the word my, mine, myself, and I 34 times in 11 verses. Solomon was all about Solomon. So my question is, are you all about you? Oh, no, you'd say, I am not that self-centered. Okay, maybe not 100%. Are you like 90%? Are you 70%? What's the percentage? What Jesus was saying is, if you 
put everything in your life about you, you'll lose your life. If you give it away, you'll find it. Medical science has proven this, that helping others gives you a surge of oxytocin, serotonin, and uh, dopamine, which are natural body enzymes that make you feel good. Did you know that's why when you do something nice to somebody else, you feel good? You know why you feel good? Because as the moment you did something for somebody else and not yourself, your body secretes these enzymes that make you feel good. It, it gives you happy juice when you do something nice, do something good. And the more you give yourself away, the more these enzymes are secreted in our bodies, the more we feel so good about life. We were created this way. In a Harvard study, employees who helped others were 10 times more likely to be focused at work and 40% more likely to get a promotion. The same study showed people who help others were more likely to be happy during times of high stress. So what's the point? What Jesus says actually works. What he's taught us actually works. Do it. Give yourself away. You put your whole life about you, you will lose it. You give it away, you will find it. Here's the last one. Decide to live by the principles of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This is Jesus talking. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires because God will satisfy you fully. There you go. I'm going to tell you, this is a life changer. This will bring a deep joy, an abiding peace, a lasting happiness that will not abandon your life no matter what the world throws to you. So here's my question. Which one of these do you need to get started on today? Which one of these? Okay, God, that one, that one right there, I need to start working harder on. But for many in this room, start at the beginning. Give your heart to Christ. In a few moments, right through, now it's through these doors, and out into the commons, you'll see that big playscape out there. And to the right, you'll see a room that says over it, says Next Step Center. That's the new Next Step Center. In a few moments when the service is over, go to the Next Step Center. Talk to one of our ministers. I want to know how to know the God who made me. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we say thank you for all that you've given us and how you've taught us. And, oh, God, thank you for giving us the warnings about blind alleys. And thank you, Father, for giving us the understanding of how life actually works. You made it. And you are the one we're going to listen to. Now, Father, move in hearts today on this campus to give their heart to you, give their life to you, accept Jesus as their Savior. Move in hearts today to say yes to Jesus. And Father, for those that need to join this church this morning, Next Step Center, move in their heart that this, this is their church. And for those who just need somebody to pray with them, Next Step Center, move in hearts because, God, whatever you're leading us to do, the answer is yes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.